women sometimes, uh, not to characterize an entire gender one way, but women approach things sometimes very differently, right? We manage differently. We have different leadership styles. And I, I think when you can get the right combination of leaders, not just women and men, right, but bring real diversity of thought into an organization, that's when really powerful things happen. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. That's Amy Howe. She's the president and chief operating officer for Ticketmaster North America. Before she joined Ticketmaster, she was a business consultant for Accenture and McKinsey, where she learned a key skill she brought with her to the C-suite. When you come into McKinsey literally from day one, right, you are taught about finding your voice or, in, in their language, obligation to dissent. And the thing that I think makes it unique at McKinsey is it's not just lip service, right? You are evaluated based on your ability to uphold that. Quite simply, they expect if you're right out of undergrad, you're right out of business school, we expect you to have an opinion and we expect you to bring that to the table because fundamentally we believe that we're going to get to a better answer for the client and that's going to lead to better decision making. Now, she leads a company that sells more than a half billion tickets each year to concerts, sporting events, and live theater performances. It's a demanding job. While some people struggle with the concept of work-life balance, she says the way we often think about it may be all wrong. I actually don't even love the term, right? Because it implies that on any given day or week that you have to have perfect balance. And what at least what I've come to realize over time is it's a long game, right? So there are times in your life that you're not going to have balance and that's okay. And now here's my conversation with Amy Howe. People are probably familiar with Ticketmaster. If they've ever gone to a big concert or pro sporting event, there's a good chance they have used it. But can you walk us through what you do? Listen, on, on any given day, that looks a little bit different, right? You wear a lot of different hats as the, as the president of a company. Some days you're the chief recruiting officer, right? There's a, a, a long period of time where we were recruiting and attracting great talent, and, and that mission never ends, right? So um, you're spending a lot of time recruiting. Some days you're the chief strategist. Right. And um, we're a 40-plus-year-old technology company. We're leading the way in the industry. So you spend a lot of time making sure we're focusing on the things that really matter. Um, you're the chief firefighter some days. And then, as I always like to joke with my husband, some days you're the chief therapist. <laughs> uh, right? You, I mean, you run a big organization. You have a lot of people. And you really realize when you're in an operating role, it's so critical to invest in your team and your people. Right? And you're only as good as, as your lieutenants. I was reading uh, about kind of ahead of this interview that you said there are two things you look for when hiring someone. I found very interesting. One, their emotional intelligence. And two, their comfort with ambiguity. Excuse me. You've got a lot of business experience. Why are those two things the things that stand out? I don't think I've ever heard somebody in that hiring position say that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how I came into Live Nation, right? And, and it's, a, it's a big part of, of why I say that. So when I fast, you know, if you rewind, I was basically a career consultant. I spent 17 years in consulting, 14 of those with McKinsey. And when I came into Live Nation, uh, Michael Rapino, our CEO, he reached out to me. I'd, I'd done some work for him a few years before. And he said, come over. We're, you know, at that point, they were bringing good talent into the organization. And we didn't know what the role was, right? So I came in as chief strategy officer for Live Nation. And uh, we kind of made it up, right? Uh, so, and I think some people looked at me and they're like, you've been a partner <laughs> at McKinsey for so many years. Right. And you don't really have a role. And candidly, it was the, probably the best way to come into the company. I trusted Michael. I inherently trusted the folks at, at the company. And 
that comfort with ambiguity and figuring out how to occupy white space mm-hmm. is really what I think led to a lot of the success. So I came in and then shortly after that, he asked me to go spend time with Jared Smith, who who runs Ticketmaster globally. And Jared and I have been partnering over the last five years to to really transform the company um, and getting in there and figuring out what to do and just going to make it happen is is a big part of why I've been successful. So that comfort with ambiguity and the ability to work in an organization where people don't report to you was was really critical. Talk about that, that running it kind of together with them. And I partner every day with Jake Sherman co-writing Playbook, which is a big franchise for Politico. We had, you know, the beginning of those first three years and bumps and starts, and we knew each other really well. But what do you think are some of the characteristics that you found to help make work well that relationship? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let me bring this relationship to, to life a little bit, right? Because um, if if that relationship didn't work, right, when you put two individuals together who have never worked together, either it's going to be magic or it's going to be a disaster. In this case, it, it was it was magic. Um, in our case, you know, Jared had kind of come up through the industry, right? He there's nobody that knows more about ticketing than Jared. I came in with 17 years of pattern recognition, right, having worked with some of the biggest companies in the world. And so being able to quickly identify different types of problems, the two of us were incredibly complementary, and we figure out how to divide and conquer in a way that has been truly additive to the company. Um, I think the important thing is that we're philosophically very aligned as leaders as well, right, the kind of culture that we're trying to create. Uh, we both believe strongly in um, in creating an environment where people want to be there. Right? Mm-hmm. We spend more time with our colleagues than we do with our families. Right. So I want to wake up every day and be excited about coming into the office. And, and that's the, tr- the kind of environment that we're creating. So I have to ask, do you remember your first Ticketmaster experience? Were you a big concert goer? <laughs> Why? Well, Everybody remembers the first event. I'm sure you remember your first event. Garth Brooks. Yeah. I'm from North What's, Dakota. What city? Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo, North it was Dakota. Big. Yeah. <laughs> At the Fargo Dome. Mine was uh, my well. My first event was in Buffalo, New York, where I grew up. Uh, Brian Adams, never forget it. I was 16 years old. Love it. Uh, but Ticketmaster. Listen, we uh, we we have 500 million. We process 500 million tickets uh, across 180,000 different events. Right. So. I've had the good fortune of going to a lot of great events. Getting, my next question was, what's the best perk? Because I feel like that's got to be it's, pretty good. It's a great perk. There's two different types of perks. I have My husband and I have three beautiful boys that are between the ages of 8 and 13. And they love going to sporting events right now, right? So we ticket all of the major league, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLS, right? So the ability to show them these experiences, and it's such an early age, right, to be able to say, this is what mommy does for a living, right? Um, we power, we provide the technology that powers all of those unbelievable moments, right? So the sports are amazing. And then the concerts, right? I mean, um, every being live at an event and experiencing those moments, uh, Coldplay at the Rose Bowl, right? When you're there and you see Chris Martin performing, um, there's nothing that replaces that live experience. So it's it, it's a it's a privilege to do what we do every day. We bring so much joy and emotion into people's lives. When you think about that, is that going to be a challenge for the business? That so much is going to techno you know technology technology that it doesn't mean that we all get together and we do these big gatherings. It's more of putting on you know a headset and feeling like you're there. Is that something you guys have started to really think about? 
Yeah, we listen, we're always experimenting with um, different types of technology and trying to understand how um, streaming media is going to impact our business. And what we're seeing is that we think that's very complementary and additive to the experience. But the reality is, I mean, you know it, right? There's there is no replacement for being there live, right? And if you look at the underlying drivers of our business, um, they're at an all-time high, right? We live in an experience economy right now, um, and it's not just the younger generation. People want to be that. That's what you remember, right? You remember those experiences in your life, um, those unforgettable moments that you couldn't recreate if you weren't there physically. So um, we're not worried about that disrupting our business, but we think there's a complementary role to be to be played. All right. Well, let's take a step back. You grew up, as you said, in Buffalo. That, that's pretty different than it L.A. and the, in the entertainment different. industry. <laughs> what was that like? Well, not only did I grow up in Buffalo, I grew up in a very small town outside of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. It's called Eden, New York. It's one of those kind of salt of the earth. It's actually a farming community, mm-hmm. the, the high school that I went to. And we were there because my mom and dad went back. My dad came back to take over a family business. Um, he was a food broker. Mom was a she was a stay-at-home mom and she was an unbelievable stay-at-home mom. If you ask her what her favorite job is, that's it. Uh, she raised uh, I have a tw- an identical twin sister who's had a huge impact on my life and uh, and an older brother. And uh, it was people are very grounded in Western New York. And I think if I think about one of the things that, that has made me successful, it's kind of that that grit and determination and the ability to kind of pick yourself back up when you, you when you get knocked down, um, and that that culture system is it's really powerful, right? The the values that people have there, uh, growing. And you're right, raising three boys in uh, Southern California is very different, but um, that's a, a big part of what I try to instill and, and bring into the way we raise our kids every day. So, did you always know you wanted to go into the business world, or did you have other career aspirations and kind of got into this world? Well, I had a plan when I went to college, and I quickly threw that plan out the window. <laughs> what I was went, your plan? I went to so I went to Cornell. They have a phenomenal food industry management program, and we thought we were going. My sister and I thought we were going to go back and take over the family food food business. And very quickly, we got there and started to understand that when you're a middleman, usually the middleman gets squeezed. Right. And my dad was he was incredibly selfless, and at one point he he sat my sister and, and I down, and he just said. You girls are too talented. Go explore something else. Wow. And then another door opened for our, uh, for both of us. Actually, it was uh, it was funny. There's there were two professors that uh, worked closely with Anderson Consulting, and there was usually one intern that they placed. And they said, "We have two phenomenal candidates. You have to take both of them." So this other door opened. Uh, I didn't even know what consulting was at the time, and but it, it just happened to be uh, a great opportunity. And if you're intellectually curious, it's it's a really fun industry. So that's kind of how we uh, how I made my way into consulting. So, yeah, so after college, you worked at Accenture and McKinsey. Uh, you spent 15 years working your way up to become a partner. Yep. I assume at that time that there w- it wasn't a super tons of women in that role. Not at all. At, at the time, there were 10 percent of the mm-hmm. partnership was women. And uh, early on, you know, you, you kind of you're fine not having perfect worth life balance, right? It, when I when I first joined McKinsey, I wasn't married, and so those were the years to just kind of buckle down and, and invest. Um, and I and I'm really glad I did. Uh, I always joke that when I um, I made partner when I found out I was pregnant with my first child, <laughs> and those are two points in your life that if if you think you can control either of those, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> Sure. Um, so I had, uh, you know, made partner and had all three of our children while I was at McKinsey. And 
uh, juggled it really well for a while, right? And then um, after a certain period of time, uh, for me, my barometer was, is this working for me, right? Am I still having fun? Am I still developing and learning? And how is that impacting my family life? And at, at some point, after uh, 14 long years at McKinsey, and they were amazing years, right? That's really where I grew up and uh, in, in where I was groomed. I decided it was time for my next chapter. What piece of advice would you have for our listeners who are maybe, you know, five, six years into some of these very hard charging environments? And what you said, you kind of at some point you realized oh, this wasn't going to work. The formula no longer worked for you. But yeah. do you have any piece of advice about either how you approached that approach trying to find, you know, if there is something as, that some is, has some semblance of work life balance? Yeah, well, let me let me hit the work life balance topic just for one minute. Sure. I don't I actually don't even love the term, right? Because it implies that on any given day or week that you have to have perfect balance. And what at least what I've come to realize over time is it's a long game, right? So there are times in your life that you're not going to have balance, and that's okay. I made some very conscious choices not to, but if you can figure out what that looks like in in the long term. And be open to new opportunities that present themselves, right? I, I think sometimes um, individuals come in and they have a very specific idea of what they want to do, what industry, what role. And I think early on in your career, getting exposure to a lot of different types of things is so critical, right? And sometimes just being open to the thing that like, mm, that doesn't sound that interesting, but I'm going to give it a shot because usually, usually those are the experiences that I that I grew the most. So just, I think, being open um, and then talking to a lot of people, right? These are all, at the end of the day, very personal and individual decisions. And there's no one right answer, right? I have lots of friends who are incredibly talented from business school who have made very different choices. Um, and they, they were right for them. For me, this has been absolutely the right decision. I love to work. I love to be a mom. I love to be, um, you know, a, a try to be a great wife to my husband <laughs> who has a big job as well. He's the right. CFO of a, a privately held company in L.A., um, so, you, you know, you kind of do the best you can. And, and for my other piece of advice is try to keep things in perspective, right? Well, you've made a distinction between having mentors and having advocates, which I thought yeah. was really interesting. Tell us what's the difference. So I had, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story of when, when I was at McKinsey. Um, there was one gentleman in particular who uh, has had a, a really profound impact on my career. His name is Lakshman Narasimhan. He is currently the CEO of Racket Bank. He's or private, uh, prior to that, he was running the Latin American business for PepsiCo. And he worked with me at McKinsey. And for whatever reason, he saw something in me. And he invested a massive amount of time. And, and I think quite simply, he taught me... He taught me the art of how to solve complex problems and how to influence um, tough clients with data and effective communications. And I and I realized that that is an art, and that's it's something that took years and years to um, to hone. It's something that I use every day. But the the advocate was um, he was able to create opportunities for me that I couldn't otherwise create on my own. Right? He opened doors for mm -hmm. me. Um, mentor can give you lots of different advice, but if they can't create opportunities for you, there's there's you know there's a bit of a distinction. He was also the person. Uh, you always have these people in your life, I'm sure, that they give you the feedback, the really really tough feedback <laughs> that you don't necessarily want to hear. Yes, that indeed. you know you need to hear, and it makes you a better person. Uh, and so I, I've been really fortunate, and and I would say Michael Rapino, our CEO, has been a huge advocate for me as well. Mm -hmm. um, created opportunities for me that on, on paper you wouldn't necessarily so say she's the perfect you know profile for the president of sure. Ticketmaster 
but it's uh, it's worked out. And uh, you, some people may have said he took a bet. Somebody who just came from consulting, and um, he took that bet. And and I'm hugely appreciative of the opportunity. So how did you make that leap? Because that's I think oftentimes people recognize that it maybe you know this career path is over for them, and it's time to find something new. But that's pretty scary. I mean, you were recruited to become an executive, but. How did you make that decision that, okay, this is, I'm going to go from consulting to in-house into an industry that you don't necessarily, you know, know super well? For me personally and and professionally, I just, I knew it was time for a change, right? I'd been in consulting for 17 years. And at some point, if you're going to do anything other than consulting, you got to move over. Um, I had a feeling that I was going to love being in an operating role. I'm by by nature, I'm an extrovert. I love being with people. And the the old adage that uh, when you're in consulting, you tell people what to to do, but you don't really get a chance to uh, to implement your own recommendations is it is true, right? So I was ready. I was just ready for a change, and and you know for whole for family reasons, it made sense as well. So it was a bit of a leap of faith, right? I I didn't know how things were going to turn out. I had consulted for Live Nation, but that's very different than being on the inside and um, and understanding how it work take you know what it takes to be successful in an organization. So. It was a leap of faith, but I, you know, it was one of those things where I trusted Michael. I trusted Joe Berktold, who is the president and CEO, and he and I had worked together at McKinsey. So if you have that that basis of trust and respect, and you kind of trust your instincts, good things happen. Looking back, are there things you would have done differently, or one thing you would have done differently when you came in? No. There, there really, there really is. There really isn't. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I was very fortunate, right? Um, Michael and Joe said to me, "Take some time, get to know the company." Uh, Live Nation is a very decentralized organization, and there's a certain type of personality that can work effectively in that organization, right? Um, So, I was able to meet all the division presidents and understand how the the culture and the corporation worked, and really get up to speed on the business. Um, so that those relationships have been really critical, right, for for me to be able to work effectively in the organization. Uh, Ticketmaster is the one of the largest division of uh, of Live Nation by profit, but we work very closely with concerts is our biggest client, right? Mm-hmm. So we work very closely with the concert division and the sponsorship division. So I feel like my path was actually um, was a, a a really great path to be able to see the bigger picture and then come into a division um, and and really have a lot of impact. So you've said that one thing you brought over to Ticketmaster from your time at McKinsey is the, quote unquote, an obligation to dissent, embracing the need (laughs) to speak up if you disagree regardless of tenure. For a lot of people, and women in particular, that's hard to do. How did you get comfortable with it? Why is it important? Yeah, it's something I believe very deeply in. Um, and when when you come into McKinsey, literally from day one, right, you are taught about uh, finding your voice or in, in their language, obligation to dissent. And the thing that I think makes it unique at McKinsey is it's not just lip service, right? You are evaluated based on your ability to uphold that. Quite simply, they expect if you're right out of undergrad, you're right out of business school, we expect you to have an opinion and we expect you to bring that to the table because fundamentally we believe that we're going to get to a better answer for the client and that's going to lead to better decision making. So you learn it early on, right? And, and it's one of those, it's a it's a skill set and a muscle that takes time to develop. At first, it feels a little uncomfortable. Uh, but when you're raised that way and you're evaluated based on that, um, it becomes second nature. 
I, I will say in corporate America, it is it is harder, right? If the if the culture and the DNA of the organization is is not necessarily wired that way, as an individual or a leader, you can try to bring that in. Um, but it's it can be hard to, as you know, to change the mm-hmm. the culture and the DNA of the company. Um, but uh, I think philosophically, many of the leaders at, at Ticketmaster are, are very much aligned on that, and that's one of the things that I just continue to to, to push pretty aggressively. You've also said that your advice for women in business is that picking yourself up after you fall is a muscle. Spend time developing it. Yes. this is, I talk to my kids about this all the time. <laughs> it's funny. We, I, I, I talk to my kids about things that happen at work and when mommy has a bad day. Uh, and it's true, right? I mean, uh, you know, your life is hard, right? Life is hard. Family, professional, uh, you're going to have lots of bumps in the road, right? It's not a straight path to anywhere. And I think if you can get if you can get comfortable at an early age, knowing that that's just that's just how things happen. And when you pick yourself back up, um, you have perspective, and you know that tomorrow is going to be a better day, right? It's probably the thing that I spend the most time talking to um, my children about, right, and helping them understand and giving them the the toolkit. Uh, I'll never forget those. There was one. One night where I, I was at the office very late, had had a very, very difficult meeting with the CEO, and my son had a really hard day at school, and we were talking about it, and I said, guess what, buddy? You and I both had the same days. It's not going to get you know better. What? It's not going to get any better, <laughs> and we're both going to pick ourselves back up, and tomorrow's going to be a better day. So it's, uh, it, I think it's a big part of what has just continued to drive me through some some really difficult times. Well, it sounds like you've also mentioned your husband. Um, you know, you have a support network, right? And that yeah, always helps. Huge support network. I, I wanted to ask because, you, as you mentioned, he is also an executive at a big has a big job on his yeah, own. You yeah. have your own big job. How how do you manage that? Well, there's a there's a great HBR article that I'm, I'm guessing you've read that, that talks about your most important career decision is the spouse that you choose, and and I really believe that he forwarded it to me, and he said, "Honey, I chose well." <laughs> I like it. That's great. Um, <laughs> forward that to my fiance. Yeah, you exactly. <laughs> you should you should forward that on, and uh, you can you can remind him that he chose well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, but but I believe that right. And we, Steve and I met at McKinsey many years ago, and then he went on to do a number of things, um, and and now has a big job as well. As I said. And he is my biggest support network, right? And there there have been many points, right, where especially going through trying to have children. And at that that point, I was a partner at McKinsey traveling all the time. We were having fertility issues like many women do. And uh, and there are times when you're like, I don't know if I can do this, right? Or coming back from maternity leave where – you're leaving your child at home and you're trying to decide, do I want to do this? Do I want to, you know, do I want to continue on? And he was always the one pushing me saying, go for it. He said, what's the worst that can happen, honey? If you don't like it, then go do something else, right? You're always going to have lots of options. Um, so he has been really, really critical to candidly my success. Um, and that if I didn't have that support at home, there's no way I could do what I do. We we juggle pretty well. <laughs> I'm just you got a lot of balls in the air. Some it's better than others. <laughs> Every now and occasionally you get the hey, did you talk to our nanny about the logistics? I'm like, nope, I didn't. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about one other thing about uh, Live Nation and Ticketmaster, which is you're involved with the Women Nation Fund. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. 
Well, uh, listen, Michael uh, Michael Rapino has made huge investments in women overall, right? And, and this is just one of, of many examples. And what we are trying to do here is um, create uh, effectively funding and financing for young women, in this case, um, women promoters who are trying to get started in the concert business who may not have that financial backing and that advocacy, right, that we've been talking about, uh, and give them an opportunity to get started, to get their foot in the door and see if those businesses can flourish. Um, so, Michael, this was Michael's vision, um, and you know, it's something that uh, we've committed to as an organization. And it's been really fun to see lots of different applications coming in. And there's, you know, you just see there's so many great ideas out there, and so many talented women uh, who may not have the, the, you know, the same opportunity. So that's really been the the core of of, of that. And why is it important? I think we we often on this podcast in particular talk about why as a premise that more women in leadership, whether it's in government or in business or entrepreneurship, is just better for the world in general. Yeah. But in your industry, why is it important, do you think, to have more women at the table in these kind of roles? Yeah, I mean, listen. I think uh, I just see it every day, right? We we're within Ticketmaster. Our numbers are, are really good on this front. Roughly forty percent of our uh, population is is women, and at the senior ranks, we're incredibly well represented. And you just see the um, the diversity of thinking, right? Women sometimes uh, not to characterize an entire gender one way, but women approach things sometimes very differently, right? We did we we manage different differently. We have different leadership styles. Um, and I, I think when you when you can get the right combination of leaders, not just women and men, right, but um, but bring real diversity of thought into an organization, um, that's when really powerful things happen. Um, we happen to be in an industry that, uh, in the concert business in particular, that uh, by the numbers tends to be more male dominated, right? And so that's uh, what we and Michael in particular is committed to um, to really trying to change that. All right. Well, one last question before we wrap up. Looking back on your journey, what do you wish you knew back when you were starting out? Oh, so many things. Uh, I think for me that just the knowing that it's a marathon, right? It's so easy to just get caught up in the moment and think that what you're doing you know, at any given time is the most important thing. And if it's not going well, like your world is going to crumble. Um, knowing that it's a marathon, it's a long path through life, right, through careers and family and parents um, and figuring out just how to keep it in perspective and making sure that um, you have – I've had a lot of fun along the way, but sometimes you, you kind of lose sight of that. So uh, so if I were to tell my younger self one thing, that would be it. I like that. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Women Rule is produced by Zach Stanton. Dave Shaw is the executive producer of Politico Audio. A special thanks to Robert Ald for helping us with the recording in New York. The show is made in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866.